Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
We also have political activist, radical Islam expert, lobbyist, entrepreneur, and New York Times bestselling author, got Valerie Greenfeld, who will be calling in shortly, my co-host, one of my co-hosts. Um, but I do want to start with a big clip. Uh, been pissing me a, it's been pissing me off a lot these last couple of days. Uh, John Brennan and all of these people that should have never, and I repeat never, had security clearances once they left the Obama administration. And the fact for the last two years, we've had people, some of the most untrustworthy, some of the most corrupt, some of those most dangerous people, like John Brennan, has, secu- has had security clearance for all this time. And, and he, doesn't, he, he doesn't even work for the Trump admin, and he hasn't been a part of the White House for two years. I mean, if security clearance should be gone right when you're done at the White House. And this John Brennan, I tell you, this guy is something else. And he's a big, whiny pig. All the guy does is cry, whines, plays the victim, acts like he's always innocent. Oh, he can do nothing wrong. We'll get into a whole story about how he converted to Islam and how he supported, um, and I've talked about this on my show before, he supported a huge communist, uh, you know, involved with the Soviets. And uh, there's a whole story to it. But let's get into it later on. I do want to play this clip. Uh, from Har- from Levin and Hannity yesterday uh, discussing this whole uh, witch hunt and, and, and ridiculous uh, security clearance uh, involving um, my, uh, Brennan and, uh, you know, other people. Uh, one four. All right, predictably after Sarah Sanders announced that John Brennan's security clearance had been revoked, of course, the destroy Trump mainstream liberal media, of course, extension of the Democratic Party had a complete meltdown. Let's take a look. This is without precedent in, in modern American history. I mean, security clearances have never Jesus been used Christ. to punish people for speaking out. This is nothing short of extraordinary, and we should all be scared about the state of our democracy. The president sent his White House press secretary out there today to basically poop on the people from the press secretary podium and not only threaten, like they didn't just make a threat, it was a promise. They're snatching John Brennan's national security clearance. We begin tonight with a chilling action taken by the president of the United States that looks something like something you might see out of a dictatorship or authoritarian regime. Trump is under fire. For Nixonian enemies list tactics, those are the accusations of at least one former FBI official after the White House is publicly admitting that it is retaliating against former CIA Director John Brennan. Joining us now, he's the host of CRTV's Levin TV, the host of Life, Liberty, Levin, Sunday night, right here on the Fox News Channel, number one in his slot. I call him the great one, Mark Levin. Mark, we have never had a former communist who literally we now know spread Russian lies to disinform, propagandize the American people to impact a presidential election either. Uh, These are unprecedented times. See if we can unravel this from the fabulously stupid Omarosa media. First of all, apparently the fact that Brennan voted for a Stalinist who was funded by the Soviets, the Communist Party USA, was very attractive to Barack Obama who made him CIA director. Think about that. So how did this man ever get a security clearance? I'm curious about this. Now, a couple of things. The president is looking at Brennan. He revokes his security clearance. Professor Dershowitz needs to know that's a privilege. That's not a right of security uh, uh, privilege. The fact of the matter is nobody's stopping 
Brennan from speaking. In fact, nobody could stop. He has a big mouth. He will never shut up. He'll go on TV and be the coup that he is. The idea that he has a right to access to information because he served in the Obama administration at the CIA is a preposterous argument, but of course the ACLU will take up the case because they take up a lot of stupid cases. That's number one. Number two, who else is the president looking at? Comey. And people who are keeping score, Comey is a Republican. How many times have the media told us, Mueller's a Republican, Comey's a Republican, and even they questioned the president. Okay, you got a Republican. And by the way, for the media, most of these people the president are looking at are white. I know that's very important to you. Now, Comey was fired at the recommendation of Rosenstein. Comey was a leaker, and he absconded with government documents when he left. His security clearance should be pulled. McCabe is under criminal investigation. The number two from the FBI. Never before in history, media, his security clearance should be pulled. Peter Stroke was just fired, the guy in charge of counterintelligence investigations for misconduct. His security should be pulled. James Clapper committed perjury. He lied to the American people and Senator Wyden and that committee long time ago. His security clearance should have been pulled. Bruce Orr, another one. Pulled. Yates, another one. Not because the president has a problem with Democrats or liberals. He has a problem with these people. And we haven't even gotten to the unmasking issue yet. So this is not a First Amendment issue. Meanwhile, meanwhile, when these people had security clearances, what the hell did they do with them? Well, let's take a look. The Russians interfered in our election, right? Well, who was president? Who was head of the CIA? Who was national security advisor? Who was the head of the FBI? All these people, with their security clearances, in positions of power, did nothing effective to stop the Russians from interfering in our election. They did nothing to stop China from stealing our technology. They did nothing to stop North Korea's nuclear program. And even worse, they awarded the Islamo, uh, hold it, Mark, the terrorist regime in Tehran with $150 billion, right? With $150 billion and provided them with a pathway to nuclear weapons. Good job, boys and girls in the Obama administration, with your security clearances. The fact that Obama appointed these people and gave them security clearances is not the obligation of this president to let them retain their security clearances. There is no constitutional issue. That's just nonsense. And again, one of them's a Republican, so that makes this all okay. Mark, I'd take away all their clearances. I take away all their clearances, too. But the fact of the matter is, we really need to focus in on the conduct of these individuals. Look at the phony media and the arguments they're making. This is like a dictatorship. This is, this is, a, we've never seen anything like this before. All these blabbermouths who know nothing. You're going to see Clapper on TV till you throw up on your loafers. You're going to see Comey, he had his book thing. You're going to see Brennan all over the place, all these phony victims and so forth and so on. Meanwhile, when they were in office, when they had their security clearances, when they had power, they didn't stop the Russians, they didn't stop the Red Chinese, they didn't stop the North Koreans, they funded the Iranians, and in fact, they are responsible for the greatest scandal in American history by interfering with our election and trying to undermine the Trump campaign. And the Trump presidency. Um, I think I'm going to remember, hold on, Mark, and uh, throw up on my loafers, but more importantly, that's why we call you the great one. Uh, great commentary, Mark Levin. Thank you. Again, Mark Show, Life, Liberty, Levin, every Sunday night, 10 p.m., number one in this time slot, right here on the Fox News Channel.
So there you have it, everybody. Um, and in case you're just joining us, I do want to welcome my co-host, um, uh, political activist, radical Islam expert, lobbyist, entrepreneur, and New York Times bestselling author, Valerie Greenfeld. How are you? Good. Thank you. I knew that was Mark Levin. Yeah, I it was. We were listening. Well. It was a clip just kind of explaining all the nonsense going on with John Brennan, but I am going to get into detail oh. about that. Uh, we do have our special guest, though, Dan Perkins, calling in right now. Um, okay. Uh, so I want to welcome our special guest. We have oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, and a contributor to Daily Caller, Clash Daily, Live Zet, Daily Surge, and The Hill. Dan Perkins, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Always great to have you. You're a great, you're a great friend of the show. Um, I would, you know, I was, we were just kind of talk. I was just talking about, and I, and I played a clip, um, this whole nonsense and gibberish of guys like, and I've talked about this on my show yesterday too. It's driving me nuts. People like John Brennan, people like Jim Comey, people like McCabe that had their security clearances for all this time. I mean, they did not work for Trump. They worked for Obama. It's been two years. And, and John Brennan, finally, after two years, the communist, you know, crybaby. I mean, this guy's a real son of a bitch. This guy plays the victim on TV. This guy likes to act like a tough guy behind the computer. You know, he thinks he's going to bring President Trump down. You know, he basically was poking the bear, and the bear reacted and said, well, guess what, buddy? I'm going to revoke everything, every privilege you basically have, which is the clearance is pretty much, from my understanding, is all that um, the, the um, security privileges um, uh, God, uh, Brennan had left. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. And, and the, the, the left is outraged that this happened, but – Oh yeah, but I was just playing. I was just playing a clip. The left is trying to say this is one of the most biggest um, political scandals in history, and this goes far beyond corruption. What President Trump did, this is so unprecedented. I mean, this guy is unhinged. We he cannot be controlled. He is dangerous. Well, I think that the the other question that that, that the left is not uh, talking about. But it's something it's that we should Brennan. talk about on this. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about I'm talking about Brennan about his loss of security. Uh, but w- we should talk about it, even though to to add balance to the discussion. Those people on the left who have decided that uh, that, that Trump has been uh, is unhinged and and uh, made a terrible mistake and and all the things he's talking about with what Brennan uh, losing his security clearance. I just yep. want to remind the le- I just want to remind the left that this Mr. Brennan said that Donald Trump committed treason when he was doing the the uh, podium discussion with Vladimir Putin. And my question is, do you want somebody who believes that the President of the United States has committed treason to have access to bringing up your security? bringing up your track record, right? Is that what you're about to say? <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that it's a matter of of uh, they're not 
they're, they're, because of their bias, they, they obviously aren't talking about all the things that they should be talking about. But really simple for the American people, should, should we have somebody have access to our national security who has said that the, tre- the president of the United States, the duly elected leader of this country, has in fact committed treason? I don't think so. And I don't think that the vast majority of Americans would want him to have access because they have no idea what he's going to do with it. I agree with you. And in addition, addition, I want to add that um, there's no reason that any of these former CIA um, head of CIA uh, has need. They don't need a clearance. Like, what are they going to do? They're not working for the government in that capacity anymore. The minute they leave the office, they should they should not have clearance. And I don't think it's just them. I mean, nobody else gets to keep their clearance. And I understand maybe some presidents can have a question and they want to ask the guy. So for 15 minutes, they can get their clearance to answer the question. But to be able to use this any way they want, and I'm, it's my understanding that, you know, some of these former CIA um, heads use, use that information for money. And it's just it's so unethical. Um, and it's an abuse mention, of power in every single way. Totally. Totally. Oh, I, I agree with you, and I, th- I, th- I think that the other thing that you have to put on the table is that when that person uh, leaves the office in the past, when a person who had a high security clearance, and Brennan had one of the highest you can get, um, when they leave office in the past, they've gone to the private sector. Brennan, right. their normal citizen, went where did he go? Brennan went to MSNBC. So he's a, he's a paid commentator, and mm-hmm. so he's, he's now involved in the political process, shouldn't have his, his, his security clearance. I mean, it's, so if you want to go out and make money, you go to the private sector. That's been the, that's been the revolving door story about people in administrations and senators and congressmen. They finish their tour – and they go out and look for a private sector job, either as a lobbyist or whatever. But here, Brennan went to uh, the private sector, but he went to the public media, to, and, and he went to MSNBC to become a commentator uh, and criticizing the president. And so I just think that, that if you're going to cross that line, then you shouldn't have security clearance. You shouldn't have access. Yeah, and, and what president? And Dick, what what? And what, I'm sorry, I mean to interrupt. But no, what? Pre, given that, what president would want to call him in for advice, ever believing that his advice would be objective? Uh-huh. None. Yeah, yeah it, that's it's, right. It's especially when you have, you know, so much bias and so much uh, animosity. I mean, we've seen John Brennan on social media and the things he has said about our president. He said stuff like, I'm going to bring you down, Donald J. Trump. Like the kind of shit that he's saying, that's, I mean, a lot, there, there could be certain things that he said on Twitter. If you go back and look at all the tweets he did over, you know, months and months and even the past year time frame, there could be some things considered uh, threats. And uh, I'm surprised he was not investigated, but at the same time, I mean, why would he be? He's one, he was one of the most powerful uh, security uh, you know, people and, and high officials 
high-ranking officials. That, um, so, I mean, you know, he had all this leverage. But now we see, I mean, this guy has nothing. You know, this guy has MSNBC and CNN or wherever he works. He's, he's at MSNBC now. I thought it was CNN for a second, but I, I, it's MSNBC. And, you know, he's, he's paid to, uh, you know, tell all of this BS. And, you know, the sickening part is you have all these people on the left um, giving him praise and saying he's a hero. And his GoFundMe page just raised a half a million dollars, I think, in like a day and a half because of him getting fired. And it's the same sort of shit with Andrew McCabe. When Andrew McCabe got fired, he got a huge, like, yeah, he got a half a million of GoFundMe in, in, within 48 hours or something, something crazy like that. And, you know, we all remember when the Democrats are saying how much of a hero Peter Stork is because he did such a great job testifying according to the liberal mainstream media. I mean, this is like a clown show. This is ridiculous. And, and, and you know, Trump is also talking about next uh, getting rid of Mueller's security clearance. Do it. Do it. Shit. But this is the thing. All of this is becoming is political, and it shouldn't be political. We're talking about the security of our country. If the CIA cannot be nonpartisan, then we got the wrong people in there. I mean, this is yeah. too important to be messing around with personalities that don't like the president, that, that you know, have a political ideology that they're trying to make. I mean, that's not what security is about. Dan, I want you to respond to what I, to what I said, though, and, and you make a good point, Valerie. Um, but, Dan, what are your thoughts? I, I I agree with Valerie that that we have created a situation, and it's happened primarily under the Obama administration. It's it's accelerated dramatically under the Obama administration, but it's been it's been coming because the left. I, I just literally finished a piece this afternoon. The left has been changing the the narrative uh, for the last four probably four decades. And they're yeah. in a situation where, th- that regardless of whether they're in power or not, they believe they are in power, and they set the agenda and they decide what's going to be talked about and who's going to who's going to say what or when. And so, yeah. what's going on? What's going on right now is that we have, um, we have a situation where, and I think you and I talked about this a little bit this afternoon. Yeah. Um, the piece I'm writing is about Andrew Como and uh, the the young lady from New York, and what what Cuomo Cortez? said yesterday, Cortez. Cortez. But what Cuomo yes, said? What Cuomo? What, are you talking about what Cuomo said? America was never great, sounding like a jackass. Right, but he said that, then he tried to walk it back. But see, I think what's going on. Is I know this is going to be a sound like a, a, a crazy situation, but what's going on with him and what's going on? You know what? Nothing, nothing surprises me these days, Dan. I'll tell you that. Go ahead. Okay. So what's going on is that Cuomo and Cortez are representative of the what the left is going through an addiction withdrawal, <laughs> and what's. And what's happening? 
so what's happening is that they 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 believe Hillary should have won. She didn't win. And so they went after Trump with the with the Russian collusion, and that didn't work. Mueller hasn't presented anything that at all, nothing, not a single thing, that would indicate that the the Trump himself or the or the campaign was in collusions with the Russians. Okay, so now they're realizing another factor: Donald Trump won. Number two, now he's being a success. And they are going through withdrawal, and and I have a situation in where my uh, number two son has created an app and a website for recovering alcoholics and drug dependent people, and has been spent a lot of time and energy in doing it, and is and is becoming very successful. And what he tells me about because he's a recovering drug addict himself, what he tells me is that when you go through the process of withdrawal, you begin to say things about what you really mean. And so when, when Cuomo said America was never great, he fits the category of some percentage of the American left who really do believe that America has never been great, and they are angry right. and they hate this country. And so I don't believe that what Cuomo did – was a slip of the tongue. I think it's part of his withdrawal process. In the case of Cortez... Go ahead with Cortez, then I was going to say something. Okay. She is talking about all these things that we should get for free. And I just finished a piece before I came on with you this evening. And, And she can't seem to be able to count because she doesn't know what it would cost to give college tuition free for everybody, to give everybody free Medicare, give everybody free health care, and uh, get rid of ICE, get rid of uh, Homeland Security, get border security, and take all of the earnings from the private sector and earnings that we make as investors, take all of that and bring it back to the government to provide a redistribution of wealth under socialism. And so she's her inability to count, to come up with the numbers of what it would cost is part of her withdrawal. She's trying to convince herself that socialism is an alternative to capitalism, and it's not. And they're talking about European nations like the Scandinavian countries, which were socialist countries. And every major socialist country in the world is turning to capitalism, including the largest in the world, China, is turning to capitalism. And so I'm asking the question, why, what is it about our country that some number of Americans virtually hate? And yeah. I come up with the, the answer to the question. So white the question males, is, let me guess, is it white males? <laughs> no, no. Do you know that acor- according to a, a University of California at Los Angeles, US, US, right. UCLA study yeah. of graduating seniors in public high schools across the nation, only 18% of the people graduating from high school 
could pass a simple history exam about the United States. We are not teaching, we're not teaching the United States in our schools. We don't teach American history anymore. We don't do that so that the people right. don't have a, have a reference point of who we had. In, in, in 1990, 42% of the college professors said that they were liberal or radically liberal. Okay, in 2014, yeah. to, no, 42. Okay, which meant 42 meant that there were 58 that were conservative. In 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 the year 2014, 60 percent of the teachers on the university level say that they are liberal or radically liberal, and the number of conserv- the number of liberal identified teachers in the university system outnumber the conservatives by five to one. I thought it was so larger not, than not, that because recently I read, I read a poll that over 80% of professors at universities are liberal. So maybe it's changed in the last couple of years, but I thought it was higher than what you just said, but maybe you're right. Okay. Well, all I'm saying is that, is that we have an education system that doesn't, doesn't teach who we are. See, if we right. don't understand, if we don't understand where we came from, we're having a difficult difficult time figuring out where they're going. Now, there's a dichotomy. Here's the dichotomy: while the left doesn't want to teach history, and they don't want to teach American history at the at the yeah. elementary school or college level, what is one of right. the fastest growing businesses? What is one of the fastest growing business in the United States? Ancestry. Well, I'll tell you. Well, here's the thing. Because I mean, when you, because, when you let me just let me yeah, finish. Go ahead. Because because Americans are being becoming more and more interested in their family history, and right. remember this: America's family history is the history of America. You're absolutely right, and I want to get into that with you. Um, so first of all, let's go back. Well, actually, I'll talk on this for a second, and I definitely want to get Valerie's thoughts. But in terms of the education system in our country, and, you know, you spoke a little bit on that, you know, um, just a second ago. Obviously, a lot of these young kids don't know shit about history. They don't know about the Constitution. They don't know about what American values properly entail. There's so many things that are lost on. But what I will say, considering, you know, you brought ancestry up. People want to do more of what their relatives are doing. People want to do more of what, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. The answer, we need more trade schools. Too many kids, the stuff they learn in these schools uh, even in high school and college, 90% of it, you don't need it in your everyday life. It's just to, it's just part of doing, you know, like math and, and some of these science classes and some, some of these things are just their necessities to graduate and, and to, you know, get your credentials all aligned up. But let's face it, you, the stuff you learn in school, you only use 10% in your daily life. 
but trade schools is a big thing. And Dan, is that what you were trying to get to, the ancestry thing, kind of like going to school to do what their, their relatives did? Well, I think that's part of it, but I, I think that, that, that we are, as a nation, we're, we're realizing that we, we have eight out of ten students who are coming out of the public school system don't know, yeah. don't know their American history. And so if you don't understand yeah. how we work as a nation under a constitutional government right. and how right. the process works, uh, you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be opening your mouth because whatever you say exactly. has no basis in fact because you don't know what's going on. And so and, my, and my people, point is – Yeah. Keep going. Go on. Well, I, I'm, just no, I say, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that I think that, that we, we, we have this – this cadre of teachers who are not only not teaching history, they are not creating well-rounded, educated students. Now, I was fortunate enough and lucky enough, although it was very expensive, to put four boys through college with no scholarships, no financial aid out of my own pocket. Right. And, and, You've also and, done very well for yourself. Well, that's true too. I can't complain about that. But yes. but the point being is that uh, I, I'll never forget this when I when my number three son went to Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he yeah. came out of this, the the morning orientation section, and I said, "How did it go?" He said, "It was I was scared to death." I said, "What happened?" He said, "The man who was giving the orientations." said to us as a group, look to your left and look to your right. Chances are the two people that you're looking at will not graduate from college. Yet we're, we're sending kids to college and parents are, are borrowing against their retirement accounts or their mortgages on their house to pay for college and the children don't graduate, and they have the debts, and the parents have. And, and, and you know what you're I'm right. seeing as you're... well? I'm seeing as well, even if these kids – I see a lot of people graduating and not even utilizing their degrees, not even putting their degrees to proper use, basically doing nothing with it. And, you know, they, you know there's also those people that brag about their degree from this Ivy League school, let's say Princeton or Harvard or Yale, and some, and there's a lot of times they're not even doing anything with it. I mean, there there are people that go to these schools, and then afterwards, it's sad how much money they put into their education, and they literally take it nowhere. I mean, there's a right. lot of these cases in, in a lot of situations, and that and that's a crazy that's a crazy thing. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you that I'm 73 years old. I have a, a, a big house here in Florida, and yeah. I used to be able to do all the all the maintenance things. I can't do it anymore because I'm right. older and I don't have the dexterity and and all that stuff. And I know what it costs to hire a trade person to come in. These yeah. people in the trades make a very good living. In case, a in many cases, may make. They may make more money than people who and, have a college degree. And when you're going into these trade or you know uh, businesses and or in different uh, categories, what trade is you know these trade schools what they offer? I mean, it's it's app building, it's coding, it's 
It's um, uh, to be a, um, a welder. I mean, there's all these different opportunities. And if you, if, if, I don't know if you saw the news today, uh, and I think I said this last time I was on the show. I, we, talked about, we talked about the tariffs, and I yeah. said that, that Europe, Europe, the European Union was in and visiting. They're talking about eliminating their tariffs. Right. Mexico and Canada have said they want to talk about NAFTA. And I yeah. said that I believe that all, what this all happens is going to put enormous pressure on China to capitulate. And what do we see this morning? That China is coming to the United States to talk about trade policy, and the market yep, was up 350 be, points. Yeah, and, and by happen, the way, what's, by the way, to speak on that real quick before you continue, um, to, 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 to name exactly what's going on, China is sending their trade delegate trade delegation to Washington end of the trade war because they know Trump's not budging. But continue, Dan. Sorry. Well, but my point is that if you bring China. Canada, Mexico, and the European Union into free trade, the GDP of the United States will be 6% in the third quarter of 2019. And what does that mean? We're going to have an incredibly robust economy, and we're going to need lots of people with trades, and we have an opportunity to put tens of thousands, if not millions of people to work in building houses and building buildings for businesses and factories and pipelines and you name it. Yeah. So huge opportunity. Yeah. And I want to say in a few minutes, we'll be having a a professional economist on the show. So we'll definitely be going over a lot of this stuff with him. And I want you on the line as well, because we're Mm -hmm. going to be, I have so many things economic wise. There are, there are a few things I want to ask you because I know you've written pieces, several pieces about, this topic, what I'm about to kind of transfer over to, but I want I want to talk about uh, Rudy Giuliani, and I talked to this a little bit about my show on my show yesterday. Rudy Giuliani is now saying um, the Mueller investigation will be wrapped up beginning of September, and uh, other, otherwise Giuliani said Mueller is going to have a lot of problems if he doesn't. Fall. If he doesn't wrap it up by the early September, and and I'm sure you have heard Giuliani uh, mention this, and and he's all uh, very heavily involved. I mean, w- what's your take on this? Well, I don't know whether or not uh, uh, Mueller will will finish the uh, the probe and come out with a, a report by it makes September first. But but Rudy, the re- one of the re- one of the main reasons Rudy said is because it makes Mueller. And the Democrats look bad going into the midterms. Um, if if nothing happens, if nothing is brought out, and, and I, I will tell you that there is one looming event that could dramatically impact the direction that Mueller goes, and that is the jury in the Manafort case is talking right now. Yeah. And. If you followed that trial, I, I followed the trial, but if you follow the trial and you see that the defense called no witnesses, did not bring in Miller to, to testify and rusted and had closing arguments. And basically, basically what they said was 
they don't believe that the prosecutors have done their job in terms of proving that he did anything wrong. And one and so the implication here is if Manafort uh is acquitted and Mueller put so much in this case, where does he go next? Because <laughs> it, there's yeah. there's this there's discussed what? I, I was just saying he he's recently talking to Madams in New York, and he's talking to Russian pop stars. I mean, Mueller's on a fishing expedition. And he's talking to Amorosa. <laughs> Her, too. But keep going. Nobody Sorry, Dan. Cares I, just about that I think it's so story. humorous. It's like oh, go ahead, Valerie. Sorry. They're manufacturing, they're manufacturing stories that nobody cares about. This Amorosa, nobody believes her. She's just trying to get her 15 minutes the same. It's not hurting yep. Trump as far as the polls at all. Um, and really quick, I just wanted to say a couple things because I was writing them down after, you know, we were earlier in the discussion. You were talking about how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can't do math. And I think the point is, <laughs> yeah, I agree she can't, but the problem is she doesn't need to. And it takes her off the message. If you, if you start talking about reality and rationality, it takes her off her message. So there's no reason for her to, to do anything logical because she's winning without it. So that was the point I wanted to make about that. Then also I wanted to talk about um, this is the first time I've ever been proud of my country. That was Michelle Obama. And so I think that's a reoccurring reoccurring liberal theme is that everything's terrible. And if you vote Democrat, you know, we'll make things better because we'll get free everything. But nobody, like you said, nobody stops to think about paying for these things. It's not rational. It's not logical. But it's it's the right. pie in the sky idea that everybody loves, even though you know, they don't they don't want to think about how they just want to think about yeah let's have that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk about was education. You were talking about how um, the education is is not working, and I think a lot of it is because the, it's it's bought and sold by the highest bidder. We have Saudi Arabia coming into our country, giving twenty million dollars to our Ivy League schools, Harvard. Yale, Princeton, UC Davis, UC Berkeley, whoever, and they get to decide who the teachers are and what they're going to teach with all that money. They're buying our, our kids' minds. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, 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 I don't disagree. I, I think that, that, that we, we just – we have a situation where um, the, the, the strategy of the Democratic Party – is to get has been to get control of the judicial system, so anything that they can't legislate, they get the court to legislate on their behalf. They control the major cities. They uh, mislead blacks and Hispanics about representing them. All these things that they've done for the last forty years are coming back are coming back in spades to haunt them. That's why I said earlier they're going through almost a drug withdrawal, realizing that they're losing power. Every day that Donald Trump is in office, every day he goes after them, every day he calls them fake news, diminishes their brand, diminishes their opportunity to succeed. Agreed. And the, and the, and the problem with is the candidates that are now winning, like this Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, she can't change any of that. She can't fix any of that. They need real candidates that can... Um, make a difference like Trump did, and and so they've got nobody except this Andrew Cuomo. Oh my God, 
<laughs> I, I, I do want to speak on that real quick. I want to speak on Cuomo and Cortez, and, and, and we do have our special guest, uh, Economist, uh, who I'm about to introduce shortly. I, I just I, in a second, I just want to uh, speak on this, Dan, real quick uh, with you, with you and everyone. Um, so Cortez and Andrew Cuomo, I mean these, especially Cortez, these are strong examples of how lost, delusional, out of touch and tarnish the Democratic Party is. They have gone so far to the left, they have basically gone to the, to the category of complete socialism, no different than what Venezuela is doing, and that's turning away a lot of their voters, which is one of the many reasons why I see a red wave occurring in uh, come November. Um, you know, there, there's among many other things. I mean, with Republicans have with Republicans having the advantage, but I just I, I I see all of this is so dirty, dangerous. Uh, it's so unproductive. You know, we see what Venezuela is going through, but yet we have all these, you know, liberal professors. And there are, there are a lot to blame for, these liberal professors at college campuses, for throwing this down students' minds and, and, and you know, basically making them believe that we're supposed to live in a, in a communist society. I mean, there, I think there was a recent poll or statistic that over 60, over 60, 60% of kids that graduate from college these days want socialism. I mean, we've, it's, it's like totally lost the way of what America was founded on, our principles. I mean, it, it's scary, and, and, and it's, just, it's an advantage for Republicans when Cortez keeps talking. I mean, let her keep talking. Let her keep running her mouth. She just sounds like such a moron and a dick. Like, I mean, you, you, it just, it's great for us. Yeah, but I, I want to make a counterpoint. I, I want to yes. – and I know you're probably going to be angry with me for saying this, but that's okay. You're allowed to be angry. I don't think so, but we'll see. Okay. Yeah. The Democrats The Democrats are not the only ones to blame. Oh, the rhinos so are, are the too. Republicans. I, no, oh, I'll no, tell no, you no, right no, now no, on no, my no, show. No, no. Yeah, no, I'll say I'm not all, fond of all there, Republicans. There's a lot of Republicans I despise, believe, believe it or not. But go ahead. And it, it, is, it isn't just rhinos. It's right. Republicans in general who yes. have allowed them to, themselves to be co-opted, and bought, I look at it and say, and paid for. so that that they I, they are as culpable as culpable as the Democrats are. I think they're culpable and that's what, because because we're wimps. I mean, like you said earlier yes. in the show, Dan. You know, the Democrats are in charge whether the Republicans have the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And that's because we don't have any chutzpah. we gotta, we got to lead. <laughs> well, you, if, you're absolutely right, Valerie. And here, here's the perfect example. Look what the Democrats did to Bush 43. And what did Bush 43 do in return? Nothing. He allowed... It was never Democrats proud of him. To control, forget that. Just understand that he let the Democrats control the agenda 
And when the yeah. Democrats control the agenda, whether they're right or wrong, is irrelevant. <laughs> they control the agenda. And, and, and what happened was that Bush never fought back. He never That's stood right. his ground. And so uh, I don't think let's George, face it, Dan, George Dan, Bush, Bush was worked, a rhino. And he also worked, Bush worked with a lot of the, our enemies. So let's not, let's not forget that. Yeah, but it's not about the ideology. It's about the process and the fact that we we um, allow them to turn the other cheek instead of standing up for ourselves. When there's a political election and somebody's doing negative, they're going negative, if the other candidate does not stand up and stand up for themselves, then people are going to think that that's true because that's all they're hearing. Right, yeah, and when, when Donald, what Donald Trump is doing, and this is why I have great – anger with a lot of the people who say Mr. Trump should stop tweeting he should be more presidential that's bull crap what do we have he today is presidential. we had he's presidential we had three, his way. right we had 300 newspapers colluded together today to all yep. its editorials against Donald Breaking Trump stories 300 today. Yep. 300 and so if if Donald Trump stops tweeting, if he stops telling his constituents and the American people what's going on, the fake news and all the mistakes and all these other things, if he doesn't do it, if 93% of all the coverage coming out of yeah. the mainstream media is anti-Trump, right. who in the right. hell is ever going to support him? That's right. And Dan, you and I, Dan, you and I have had this discussion many times on, on my show. You know, we've we've said. Twitter is one of his uh, one of the one of his best tools, and it's part of the reason he won the election. Let's face no it. No question. Mean, and on a daily basis, it helps him in in so many different ways, especially for all his supporters for to really know what's going on because we can't trust our media anymore. Right, absolutely correct. And I so think I hope he, like I hope he never said, stops. Dan. What you just said about all of those negative uh, media coverage over about Trump today, I think that hurts the media more than it hurts Trump. It just yep. backfires on them because they're not it the hurts. news anymore. There's no news. No news. Agreed. So you're going to introduce I mean, other guests? Yeah, I want to, I want to welcome uh, economist expert, public policy analysis, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, LiveZet, a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Rory. Always great to be here. Yeah, I, I'm sure you've been listening in for a few minutes. Sorry, we kind of, yep. we kind of got uh, stuck in the moment in this conversation, um, but uh, it's good to have you here. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, we do have a lot of financial questions. I, I am going to get to, there's a lot of stuff going on with tariffs, trade, uh, different economic uh, deals that have been going on. Um, but yep. the first thing I want to really talk about that I haven't got to yet, and I really need to get to, is Dan, and, and you're, you're the expert at this, Dan, and, and Valerie as well. You, you know very well about radical Islam. Let's please discuss you know, these, these crazy Muslims that were uh, at the, you know, uh, you know, overlooking and, um, 
working at this com- compound in New Mexico, teaching these little school children, these little children, how to carry out school shootings. And then they go to court, and the judge grants them $20,000 bail. And the judge says, this is an anti-Muslim hate crime. This, this is just because of Muslim bigotry. This is nothing to and basically, she's trying to say that guys are innocent. And I know, Dan, you've written a piece about this this week, uh, or and you, yeah. you talked about it a lot. Can you can you speak on this, Dan, a little, a little bit, please? Sure. Uh, what, what was amazing, the couple of things that were amazing to me about this situation. One, yeah. that, the, that the, the, the bail, which is designed, bail in our country under our under our laws is designed to one thing, one thing real quick. One thing real quick. I do want to say the only thing I can come to with a conclusion and the obvious, you know, uh, visible reality in front of me, this is all political with what she did with these Muslims, but the judge, but go ahead. Well, the judge is an Obama appointee who came from San Francisco, which is not necessarily a conservative town. And it's the home of the Ninth <laughs> Circus, Ninth Circuit, but I call it the Ninth Circus Court. But anyway, this judge decided that for the offenses that these people were being charged with, uh, that they should pay a fine of or a bail of twenty thousand dollars. Bail is designed to try and and get the uh, if if you get out on bail, uh, make it economically challenging that you have to come back and stand trial. Right. So she's she said there was going to be a twenty thousand dollar bail, except there wasn't a twenty thousand dollar bail. She they had to simply sign their name to attest that they would come back for trial. Now that's the first thing. Given the nature of the evidence that was collected by the police and the prosecutors of the manuals and all the things that were there supporting their activities to attack schools. Uh, the judge didn't apparently take that into consideration. Now, part two, let's move to the little three-year-old child who died. The child was kidnapped in Georgia. We know today now that Georgia has asked for an extradition of two of the people to be brought back to Georgia to stand trial for kidnapping of this three-year-old child. It's my understanding that the three-year-old child had some medical issues. And again, I can't believe what I heard today, but a reporter was saying that the judge uh, was not going to hold the adults accountable for the death of the three-year-old child because they were using techniques under the Muslim faith to try and create a situation where they could drive out the demons that were in this child and that the child was killed accidentally. Now, if you listen to the, to the, the case that the prosecutors put out, um, and I said, I think I said this to you, Roy, this afternoon. If you're from El Salvador and you come all the way north of Mexico and you walk across the border, you um, you are 
brought in and you are given a summons to appear in the court in order for your deportation trial or hearing. About 95% of the people who do that never show up for the hearing. And there are some people that say, well, but they have these ankle bracelets on that they can track. And, and I've heard the story, they just cut them off and, and they disappear. So they're not coming back. So if you are not willing to come back to appear for a deportation hearing, why would this judge think that people who are responsible for the death of this three-year-old child, who were in essence left on their own recognizance to come back, would ever come back, number one. Number two, the people that are being extradited for kidnapping of the child in Georgia (coughs) will not come back because they're going to go to jail. Now, that's probably a good thing for them, but what about the other three? I'm not sure that they're coming back for their trial, and at least two of them I understand now are illegals, and they're not coming back for their trials. And what happens if those three remaining people kill somebody or some buddies? What culpability does the judge have? Exactly, and and what I want to bring up about what I want to, you're right, Valerie. And what I want to bring up about this, which is kind of disturbing, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but this is, has been proven to be factual, um, is that one of these guys, uh, one of these Muslims, was uh, his mentor was Linda Sar- Sarzor, who's the organizer right. of the Women's March, um, and she's mm-hmm. a Muslim, and she's she's one of she's very. Uh, loved by the uh, people on the left, which is sickening if you know some of the things that she's been behind. Mm -hmm. So the son is um, Sir Hajwaj. um, He he is an imam in Brooklyn. He's been there forever. And he's the one that that, I think he did the first convocation in the United States Senate, uh, the first Muslim that did the convocation. And and we and the investigative project on terrorism has um, videos of him talking to his people, you know, um, in English, but to only Muslims, and he doesn't know he's being taped, saying that the United States is trash and it's it's you know it should burn and and you know kill the Muslim, you know all kinds of bad stuff, and this is his son. So we know the background of these people and what their ideology is because it comes straight down from Sir Hajiwaj. So I don't understand mm-hmm. how these, how this uh, gov, um, judge can, can make this kind of decision and how can, like you said, how, is, how culpable is he? Um, is, was this a Sharia law kind of uh, judgment? No. He, he, the judge said that because the, the the death of the girl was caused by religious practices, quote, religious practices, that she could not take that religious in 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 context of deciding what she wanted to do, that she had to exclude that. that. Wow. Jesus. So is that a precedent now that for, forevermore in U.S. law, that if somebody uses another, you know, Sharia law, then it's okay? Now, what if somebody wants well, to have an honor killing or rape their wife or whatever, uh, as long as it's another religion, it's okay? It's ridiculous. I can't answer that. 
You know, I mean, what happened was, to the, the, the U.S. Constitution supposed to be first in the United States? If you want to have another law, you go to a different country. Our, our country is guided by the United States, uh, by, guided by the U.S. Constitution. Yes, but I, I have to tell you that uh, three years ago, I wrote on, I was the first uh, person to write and, and, and do a, um, a story on the establishment of the first Sharia court in this country, which is done in Irving, Texas, just outside of Dallas. And I was there um, when the Bo Bergdahl trial was going on there and, and began to understand about this Sharia court that was established. And uh, as I began to investigate that, to write about it, um, the city fathers didn't even know that there was a Sharia court in their town. And we're reluctant, we're reluctant because of political correctness of shutting it down. And it finally took the state attorney general to say, there is only one law in the United States. That is the Constitution, not Sharia law. So we shut down. And, and when, yeah, and when, but when the judges were interviewed and asked the question, if you're in a case and there are people before you and they're, and they're pleading their cases – Will you use Sharia law or the Constitution to make your decision? The, all three judges said Sharia law. Yep. Can't have well, two sets of. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying you can't have two sets of laws, as you said. You can't have two sets of laws in a country. It's one yeah. only. There was a yeah, poll it, done it, by Pew Research in 2011 that said that 53% of the Muslims in the United States prefer Sharia law over the U.S. Constitution. Yes. Fuck. Jesus Christ. You would think but, they were all have, have, because I don't but know Valerie, Valerie, that... you, Valerie. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't let that go. I gotta. I gotta say something. Go ahead. Yeah. This is something. Something I've been talking about for years on the radio. What we do not understand in the in the trilogy that I wrote, the first book was called "The Brotherhood of the Red Nile: A Terrorist Perspective." That book was written not only to tell a story, but to begin the process of helping the American people understand why these radical Islamic people hate us so much, and how much, and why they want us dead. And so what I'm trying to say to people is that you have to understand that under the Koran, Muslims are not permitted to assimilate with Christians and Jews. That's right. And so if you have a Muslim who comes, a true believer who comes to the United States, they will be part of an enclave that is separated away from the mainstream of America. The idea that these people will abandon their religion and assimilate into the culture and the laws of this country is naivety at best and dangerous at its worst. So the idea that we... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so we understand that they are not going to be like the Italians and the Germans and the French and the English and the Irish and the Swedes who came here and have all assimilated into our culture. They cannot do that because their religion forbids it. And so when we we talk about these... 
Talk about these they, issues. They have strength in numbers. And if they, if they dilute their numbers by assimilating, they've lost the whole point of coming over here, which is to have Sharia law. So as they create these enclaves that you're talking about, for example, Hamtrak, Michigan, you know, they all, they're pushing out the Americans that have lived there for generations um, by bringing in more people. And they've deliberately chose, chosen, they've chosen all kinds of city, uh, cities in all over the United States that they wouldn't think, why would, why would a group of Muslim people want to live here? We're in the middle of nowhere. And that's the reason, because then they can start their enclave and they we, can start their school. We do, need to and, wrap, and, we do need to wrap up this segment within the next minute or so, and we'll talk about some <laughs> economic done. stuff. I'm done. I, I want to hear your guest. Okay. Okay. Again, in case you're just joining us, I will introduce him again, even though I introduced him earlier. Economics expert, public policy analysis, writer for Town Hall, writer, Newsmax, LiveZet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler. Michael Bussler, great to have you back on. It's been a few weeks, but uh, you're, you're a great friend of the show, and uh, we always Thank appreciate you. your insight, and, uh, you know, you've, uh, you always have great stuff to, uh, you know, give us, so uh, we love that. Well, thank you. Yep. My pleasure to be uh, here. Yeah. So let's start off by, you know, there, there's a new report out today. And this is always, this has been an ongoing issue for many, many years. But now they, they did a total cost of criminal foreigners in prison cost American, in prison cost American taxpayers $1.4 billion with a B every year. I mean, yeah. we're, we're talking, I mean, all of this stuff. I mean, can you believe that sort of number? Yeah, it, co- it costs about uh, $70,000 a year uh, to keep a prisoner in prison. So you take a look at the uh, all the people that we have and you multiply by the $70,000 uh, each per year and you get the one point. Uh, whatever it was, billion dollar number that uh, you get there. That's a, a yeah, that's a, a lot of money that certainly could be used for other things, um, yeah. rather than uh, going to house people that shouldn't even be here. Can I? I, know, can I it, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. I I I have to tell you that I I I absolutely do not believe the number, and I'm going to tell you why. You think it's higher or lower? Well, let me finish. In Florida, <laughs> in Florida, the state legislature in the budget process has a hundred million dollars set aside for prisons for illegal aliens in Florida. If we're spending a hundred million dollars in Florida, I can't believe the other forty-nine states are doing it for the difference between what we're paying and a a billion dollars. I I think the number's way, way understated. Yeah, I know. And that's what I thought, too. I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think that was a federal uh, number. And uh, so this is when, um, after the uh, states get it, there are some uh, crimes that end up being federal crimes, and then you go to to federal prison. So the, the, state number may be kind of an intermediate step before they finally get the 
to federal prison, which means you've got to add all those state numbers on to get the total number of this. Yeah, uh, that what it actually costs. Yeah, I think the number is much much higher than than a billion dollars. Yep. And and that's what I thought too. But I mean, the fact that you know we have a country at this point in time, you know, I mean, I know I know Trump is fixing it every single day, but we need to get to a point where taxpayers are not responsible for non-american citizens. I mean, this is this is absurd. I mean, this, this I mean in other in other countries, I mean, I mean this, this this should not be tolerated, period. And you know why we have this problem? Because of the dummy crats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know there's um plain and simple. There, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the alternative is. I mean, the the government has to uh, uh, provide protection. And, of course, if the government's providing something, the taxpayers have to pay for it. Um, so it's kind of difficult to see what the what the choices are to try to get that number down. I know. And, you know, we keep, you know, je- you know, we have if we had a good if we had a good attorney general, you know, we could be. <laughs> you know, hitting this issue head on and dealing with this and, and taking properly addressing this and taking action on it. The, the, Jeff Sessions is so worthless and completely, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not even around, but I mean, we need somebody that can take care of issues like this. I mean, this pisses me off personally as a taxpayer, this should piss any taxpayer off. I mean, and and you're you guys are you're right, Dan. I think the number is way higher. When I saw this number, I thought they were lowballing it. And but the the fact that you know this is what taxpayers are responsible for. But let's not forget, taxpayers are also responsible for a lot of other BS that they should not be paying for. I mean, all this other crap that uh, they put out there. But I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, it, it's just illegal. I mean, we're talking about illegals here. We're talking about people that cross the border and think they have rights, but what they fail to comprehend is once you cross that border, you don't have rights. I mean, the deportation process and, and, and you know, this sort of system in, in the past years, even under Bush, who's a re, who, who, you know, uh, under the Republicans, I mean, it's been lacking. But now that we have Trump in here, I think we need really need to push for this. We need to get these fucks out of our prison. Excuse my language, um, but I, you know this is this is an issue. This is this is not something that should be taken lightly. This is something that should be uh, there should be some 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 sort of legislation. Your thoughts, Dan and and Michael. Well, I want to ask Michael a question. Um, yeah. 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 You you said Michael that you what you you weren't quite sure how we could change the dynamic. That was my word, not your word. But yeah, yeah, yeah. can't we change can't we change the dynamic by by first sealing the border so that the flow d- diminishes and stops. Number one yeah, yeah. and number two, can we go through the prison system and find people that are here? illegally and deport them out of the country. Yeah, we certainly can do both of those. And uh, I I think that uh, ultimately will uh, be part of a bigger immigration 
uh, bill that finally uh, takes a look at the problem head on and comes up with a solution. You know, we still have the DACA kids uh, to worry about. Um, and as you may recall, Trump was very generous um, in uh, speaking with the Democrats about giving the DACA uh, kids a chance to stay in America, providing that he would be able to get some of the things you were just talking about, um, a more secure border. You know, in, in 1986, um, President Reagan essentially gave amnesty to uh, three million illegal people. Um, and the trade-off was Congress promised that they would spend money to secure the border. Well, here it is 30 years later, and Congress hasn't really spent any money, aside from Trump has been able to get out of them, uh, really to secure the, the border. Uh, and with the whole immigration problem, we've pretty much been kicking the can down the road to the next president um, for uh, a number of administrations. Um, even when uh, Obama was running for office and he courted the Hispanic community, uh, he made it a point to say that he will address the immigration problem and come up with a solution. And then, of course, he never did. Um, so th there's a big immigration problem sitting out there that we really, at some point, are going to have to tackle head on. It's extremely difficult for President Trump, who I think has been very uh, generous in negotiating, or at least offering to negotiate, um, but it's going to be very difficult because you've got a Democratic Party who, no matter what Trump says, they just say no. Yeah. Um, and you yeah. don't have enough Republicans to carry it. Yeah, and, you know, but I think I... Real, real quick, Dan, you know, I, 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 you know, from history, I, I wish it was the days like, you know, Ronald Reagan working with Tip O'Neill. You know, we saw how well, you know, they, you know, they collaborated and, and did and worked well together, but we don't have that sort of uh, Demo Democratic Party where we're from where like a guy like Tip O'Neill, uh, you know, any more right. people like that that are willing to work with the American agenda. And it's sad, but go ahead, Dan. Well, I was just going to say that that the that the issue here is is um, I think what's going to happen here is that we're going to go into the midterm elections. I've been writing about this for months. I do not see uh, a blue wave. In fact, I see a red, a red wave. A big red wave, re big Republican victory. Right. And so as it relates to our guests, I think you're going to see a, a, an increase in the size of the Republican House. You're also going to see an increase in the Republican Senate, I think somewhere between 56 and 58 Republican senators, so that the yeah. body will be there. The, the party will have the strength to be able to do whatever it wants to do. The question is, will it have the will to deal with, with immigration reform? But the other thing that I think is important is something, Mike, that we can do now is that according to the Department of Homeland Security, 40% of the people that are in this country illegally are people who came in legally with visas and have overstayed yeah, their visas and never right. went back. I'll give you an example. I don't know about your school, but I can say, generally speaking, if a student from a foreign country gets a visa to come to the United States to go to school, 
at a college. It is the college's responsibility to report to Homeland Security the status of that student. Colleges and universities all across yeah. the country are not reporting when that That's student exactly drops right. out of school and is still exactly there. Exactly right. So, so if we had enforcement of the laws as it relates to reporting, we could deal with 40, almost 40% of the illegal alien problem in the United States immediately. Yeah, you know it's uh, that's exactly right. There, there are, there are um, uh, a number of uh, people that do overstay their visas, and colleges everywhere are not responsive. Uh, the the students leave, and uh, there's very little reporting, if any, that's that's done. And then the students just end up staying here, and uh, they become illegals. Right. Yeah. And you know, I it, it it's really. And with all of these college campuses, you know, I, I really want to, you know, get to, I want to just kind of switch, switch uh, gears a little bit. And, you know, Ben Shapiro uh, was in Arizona tonight and, you know, just the, the protests and the, the hate on free speech and it's going on on all college campuses with, you know, conser- you know when conservative speakers are set to yep. uh, come do an event. I mean, this is really getting out of hand and dangerous. And, and it's the same sort of thing with, you know, um, the whole censoring of conservatives with media online. We just saw what happened with Alex Jones. I mean, pretty much all his cha- – actually, all his channels, for the most part, are gone and you, nobody can tell me that that was not planned and set up and they wanted to get rid of him because he was starting to expose a lot of the truth and what was really occurring in the relevance of our society at this point. And, you know, and even the Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, personally made the decision to ban Alex Jones. How sick is that? I mean, we have – and we have all – that just goes – that's for that – relates to free speech that's relates to everything i'm saying i mean conservatives are under attack and it's scaring the hell out of me because if it can happen to us if it can happen to alex jones if it can happen to um you know uh, all these other conservative commentators it can happen to anyone yeah that's uh that's a a problem real quick real real quick and i talked about this on my last show they, they are the, the left elite, the, the, the evil liberals are trying to make it in a sense. I mean, their ultimate goal in the long run, they won't succeed. But their agenda, their objective is to make our social media and our, you know, uh, way we see things like a communist country where they restrict us from seeing real facts. They only want us to see what they are, uh, you know, putting out there that's complete gibberish, uh, but they want to make it look real. But go ahead. Sorry. Well, I I would just like to add a statistic that I found today on socialism and communism. But socialism, in the last 100 years, the socialism expense, uh, experiments around the world 
yep. has cost the lives of of a hundred million people. Yep. Yeah. I saw that too, and you know I want to say, and I know you want to respond, Michael, and, and I want to say this real quick to you. Alex Jones, within 48 hours of getting a band, he got 5.6 million new subscribers. And let's let's look at this from an economical standpoint. (laughs) Look how much money Alex Jones was making all of these networks. I mean, YouTube, Facebook, Apple. He was making these people a fortune. And they banned him. I mean, this was all politically motivated. and, And the fact that you know, uh, the, the finan- how much they are losing from a financial aspect. Um, can you speak on this a little bit? Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what's, what's really scary, what, um, regardless of whether you agree with what Alex Jones was saying or not, uh, whether yeah. you, you think some of it is completely off the wall or not, we do allow for free speech. Uh, and it's very important in a democracy uh, that we allow free speech, um, and even if views are way off, um, people have a right to uh, express their views. And as you said, we start censoring things like this, and you're going down a very dangerous path. Uh, and for the uh, media to essentially go after conservative views uh, and try to uh, censor those and allow the more liberal views, uh, that also helps con- to contribute to the millennials' view that, as you mentioned earlier in the show, how uh, millennials now favor uh, socialism over um, capitalism. capitalism. And yep. yeah, and really, what they're saying is the difference essentially between socialism and uh, capitalism is the amount of government control and government involvement in the economy. So these younger people are saying that. Uh, uh, we we want more government control. We want more involvement in the government. We want the government to um, help us feel more secure. Now, whether they are more, more secure stuff. or not is a question. That's but what they're feel. saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really uh, important that we get um, that we allow all voices to be heard, so people can make good. Uh, yeah. assessments and good judgments themselves. You, you know, Trump's being criticized um, for using the term uh, fake news and uh, uh, how the, the press could be the, the enemy of the people and how uh, everybody, the liberal media is really uh, on him. Well, essentially, all, all he's saying is the, uh, the press is not reporting news accurately. Uh, it's very yeah. slanted. I think it was Dan gave the figure 93% of... Um, the writing about Trump in the media is negative. Uh, and, and so as a result of that, the the uh, American public is not getting true news. They're getting news that's biased or what he refers to as, as fake news. Uh, and then as a result of having bad news, uh, news that's not factual, uh, people are making uh, bad decisions because you don't have the correct information. Um, and that could turn out to be uh, uh, something that's very detrimental to the public. So Trump uses the term "the enemy, enemy of the people." <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, Dan, stay on the line for a second. There's some, there's another big thing I'm about to get into. But Valerie or Dan, uh, and Dan, you have any thoughts on this? I, I, uh, I do have some absolutely. thoughts. But I want to give you guys. To go, get, go I, ahead. 
I'll just reiterate my previous point. The millennials think that socialism is better than capitalism because in the education system in our society today, the schools do not teach our history, which shows how capitalism has worked since the founding of this country, so that we're not teaching a basis of understanding the differences between capitalism and socialism. And so it's... It, according to Mike, and it's true, if you don't have all the information, you don't make good decisions, and they don't—they're not getting right. all the information, and that's right. the problem. Yeah. Well, also, Dowry, yeah. I think. Go ahead. Yeah. Also, I think that you know they're having a hard time getting a job when they leave, and they're entitled. So socialism is working for them because then they can get whatever they need from the government. They don't have to do anything, and it just seems right. to be much easier. Um, for the lifestyle that they believe they deserve. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and, and we see, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I, I, I never thought I'd live in a country where we have all of these millennial morons that are so entitled, are so, you know, they, they think everybody owes them something, they and and they think that. You know, they can just get, you know, what they, they can whine and have all their safe spaces and all the shit that's been created. I mean, we are living in a very weak era uh, in terms of, of witnessing millennials. I mean, these people are, are out of, out of out, just way out of line. It's just, I mean, they're, they're just, it's beyond insane. And the fact that, you know, I'm... I never thought. Oh God, I hate when I lose my train of thought. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, what, what was this? About? And this, this was big. This was this was a big thing. What I was about to say. Oh, oh, um, I never thought millennials. I, yeah, I was talking about millennials, and then I, and then I never thought I would be living in a country that would. You know, be favoring um, illegals over their own people, and yeah. you know, and look at what that does to fi- on a financial. We talked about that earlier, and as well as all these in- people marching through the streets, demanding that the rich pay their fair share. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. Well, let me tell all of you. I, I was gonna say I was gonna use some French, but I'm not gonna use. I, I refrained. I, I I I held myself back. It's good control, Rory. Good job. <laughs> but I I am gonna say right now. Have any of these individuals ever received a, a, a job from a poor person? No. The reason capitalism has always worked is because you have rich owners. You have these rich businesses that hire all of these people. And, you know, when the Democrat and, and that's and, and you, these are thousands and thousands of people and then they give back into the economy and that gives all these other small business owners more and more hope. But have you yep. ever and then you have all these Democrats that want to bitch about the rich and corporations getting tax cuts. But what they fail to understand is when you do that, you give them leverage and more leeway to hire more employees and to get to get the economy more better and better. 
because, you know, if you, make, if you make them suffer with all these regulations like Obama did, they are not yep. going to want to, you know, do their business tactics. But now that Trump has, got, has cut the regulations on a lot of these, uh, you know, situations and given the, this amazing tax relief to big businesses, everyone's getting hired. I mean, there is a report. There are more jobs out there than, are, than there are people to fill them. I mean, we are living in the yep. best economy of all time, everybody. <laughs> yeah. That all might that, be a little uh, Michael. Uh, might I was going to say, all that is, is, um, is, is right. Trump is uh, finally turning everything around. M- most of the, the economic problems that we have today is a result of uh, the lack of growth that we've had in the economy. Um, I've mentioned on the show before, President Trump, uh, President Obama, rather, was the first and only president in history to serve a term in office without having at least one year with uh, at least a 3% growth. Um, He never had anything uh, at three or above. He averaged a little over 2%. In fact, uh, the economy hasn't grown at a 3% rate on an annual basis since 2005. We haven't grown at a, a 4% rate on an annual basis since the year 2000. Um, now, that's caused all kinds of, all kinds of uh, problems. Um, a lot of my college graduates, my students graduating for the last 10 years, were lucky if they were able to find one job, a good job. Many of them accepted jobs for which they were overqualified. They didn't need the college degree. As a result of them taking those jobs, the people without the college degrees couldn't find uh, any work, so they dropped out of the labor force, and we ended up with these five or six million discouraged workers. Um, But fortunately, uh, as you mentioned, one of the things that was uh, slowing growth down was we had all of these ridiculous regulations. Uh, The EPA, he made them so strong that literally, if you had a puddle of water in your backyard, you had to call the EPA before you were allowed to start building there. So um, Trump, when he got into office, the first thing he was able to do by himself was reduce regulations. Since that time, um, since the second quarter of last year, the first quarter that he was in, in office and reducing regulations, since then, the economy has grown at a 3% rate. Um, then you mentioned he uh, reduced taxes in uh, last fall. That went into effect in January. By April of this year, the economy is growing at a 4% annual rate. And I believe in the current quarter, uh, they'll announce the third quarter number at the end of October, I think we're going to be growing at about a 4.5% rate. And once that starts happening, uh, and it is happening now, all of the underemployed college graduates who took jobs, they were overqualified, will now find jobs to suit their qualifications. Uh, that'll open up jobs for all these people that dropped out of the labor force, so they'll be able to come back, and they're already starting to come, come back. Um, and that's what positive economic growth will do. And unfortunately, Obama never considered economic growth as a goal. Trump uh, realizes the importance of that. And as a result, we're into this robust economy. You know, I want to, I know people want to speak on this. I want to say something real quick, though. You know, to what you said towards the end, 
Obama was abs- – you're absolutely right. Obama never cared about economic growth. He wanted to take no. everything everybody earned and give it to lowlifes that don't work for a living and have ten kids with five different baby mamas. That, that was Obama's ultimate achievement. And, and you know, that's what, that's what he, his objective was. You know, let, let's face it, welfare was at an all-time high. Food stamps were at an all-time high. It was disgraceful. Yeah, what, well, what if, if I could just add – oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to add one, one thing. What um, Obama's focus was on curing perceived social injustices. So it's an injustice that everybody doesn't have health care. It's an injustice that there's not enough food stamps for everybody. It's an injustice there's not enough welfare for everybody. It's an injustice that big business takes advantage of consumers. So everything he did was to cure these perceived social injustices. And every time he did that, he put another regulation and another uh, burden on business, and business couldn't grow. That's why we never got above much above a 2% growth rate under Obama, which he called the new normal. <laughs> I mean, this, yeah, and now we're at – you know, within Trump's first year, he's a, he's a four he's over four percent GDP. I mean, this this is unbelievable. And we just heard Larry Kudlow today uh, signal signals that the U.S. is ne- nearly done with a deal that's going to fix NAFTA uh, and make it fair with, with, Mexico. with Mexico. So, yep. th- yeah, I mean, there, there's another big thing right there. And here's another big uh, uh, report that came out today. Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae are now giving people th- – you can put 3% down on a house and have, and have 97% funded uh, by, by, by the loan by them, and you can have you know, a 600 credit score. You can get a 3.5% loan with a 560 credit score and have the rest – uh, of of it funded by Fannie Mae or Fin Freddie Mac. I mean, we have not seen this. I don't know. I mean, even in the Bush years. I mean, I know we had uh, all of these different loans getting thrown out like candy. But the fact that these that it's so easy for any first time buyer to buy a house now, or anyone to get a house with very little down, it's this is incredible. This is. This is good. I mean, this is making. I mean, this is probably the best the real estate market has been in, maybe ever, uh, but at least in a long time. Yeah, and you know these um, these mortgages like this. This is really what started the financial crisis. Uh, The federal government wanted to increase the home ownership rate uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, So, in order to do that, they were giving out mortgages. It, It got even worse. Uh, leading up to the financial crisis, you can have zero down payment. And even if you didn't qualify, didn't have enough income to make the, the monthly mortgage payment, they gave you a, a low interest rate in the beginning so you could qualify. Uh, that got people into houses. But, you know, after a few years, they ended up defaulting on the mortgages. That's really what led to the uh, whole financial crisis back in 2008. Yeah. And that, yeah. that whole, part, Go ahead, that whole Dan. thing was – that whole thing, I've got a lot of things to say here. That whole thing, uh, as an investment advisor with 45 years of experience, uh, that whole thing was created by three people, Maxine Waters, Chris Dodd, and Barney Frank. 
<laughs> they, along with Clinton, created the community lending legislation, which allowed which caused the, the 2008 bank. collapse. No question, no question. And so when you talk about all these new low loans, you got a problem. Now, I want to ask Mike a quick question. Go ahead. When the when the report came out that the the gross domestic product for the second quarter was 4.1% annualized, not yep. 4% growth for the quarter. A lot of people don't right. understand that, Mike, that it's not. But it's an annual rate. It's an annual rate. Right. You correct me if I'm wrong here. That number is not adjusted for inflation. That is a raw number. Uh, no, it is adjusted for inflation. Yeah, that's a re- it's a re- real GDP. Uh, they also uh, publish uh, what's what they call a nominal GDP, and nominal GDP is the uh, number before it's adjust- adjusted for inflation. That number was uh, close to seven percent. Uh, inflation is running at a, in, in the mid two range, uh, so uh, the nominal number was given, and the number that's given at four point one is adjusted for inflation. So it's growth in real GDP. Okay. Now I want to take that information, and I want to. I wrote a piece on this, Roy, and it's and it's about the midterm elections that the Democrats are not paying attention to the calendar. And let me tell you what I mean by the calendar. The GDP is reported over three months. They make an initial and two revisions. The first revision will be at the end of August. The second revision will be at the end of September. Right, and that's the final number that they use, yes. Right, And, and so I believe that the final number for the second quarter is going to be closer to be four and a half than four one. Now, calendar. So I'll tell you, it could the, be right. The GDP is going to be announced, uh, final GDP at the end of September. Right. The first preliminary report for the third quarter GDP will be announced the week before. The midterm elections. Yeah, it's there actually 10 be... days before. Yeah, it's actually 10 days right. before. It's announced on a Friday and then the follow, not the following Tuesday, but the next Tuesday is the election. That's absolutely right. Right. In addition to that, we will have a September jobs number, October jobs number, and we will have a November jobs number before the midterm elections. That's also right. Yeah. So what we're going to have is all the Democrats who've been saying on the 4.1% GDP, who said it's simply a one-month or one-series wonder, it's not going to be reported. I believe the number will be re- revised to 4.5, and the preliminary number for second quarter GDP, third quarter GDP, going to be somewhere between four and a half and five the democrats will have no time to back away so that they're building themselves into a corner 
that the economy yeah. of what Mr. Trump is responsible for doing is going to they're going to walk into the voting booth and I've been I've been publicizing this thought for now almost 2 months on every show that I'm on if we understand that we can tell people when they walk into the voting booth as they stand there to pull the lever they ask themselves this question remember all this economic data I believe is going to be positive, will all be reported just before the midterm elections. If you're better off than you were two years ago, vote for a Republican. If you're not, vote for a Democrat. As, as, As Bill Clinton said, it's about the economy, stupid. About the economy, stupid. I'll tell you all that. Pardon? All that is right. I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. The uh, the the White House initially thought the second quarter of this year would grow at four point eight percent. Now they reported four one, and Dan thinks they'll revise it up to four five. So there's some data to indicate that that Dan could be right. And for the third quarter, I've been forecasting four point five. It could be stronger. So you said between four point. Five and five, and that certainly was in, is within reason. Um, the uh, November jobs number comes out the Friday before the election, and so far right. all of the job numbers are looking great. Uh, so I, I would agree, as you said way back earlier in, in the show, that the Republicans could end up with 56, 57, 58, maybe even a little more in the Senate, and I too think that they're going to add to their majority in the the house Let's, uh talk about uh a uh, 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 blue wave coming um really is uh, not going to happen um and i've said 6 months ago i didn't think it was going to happen too i agree with you um i said look the only blue wave you're going to see is if you stand on the beach and stare out at the at the ocean because uh, there's right. not going to be any kind of a blue of a blue wave coming right now i want to i want to just add one more point I have been saying for a long time that most of the pundits in in Washington and on on where I work, Wall Street, do not understand the economic policy of Donald Trump. Right. And where they specifically have got it wrong is on tariffs. Tariffs were a tool to bring the parties to the table to admit that they had a great deal for a long, long time. That's and exactly so what we right. Have now, we have now a situation where at least there's a possibility of a formal renegotiation of the terms and the conditions of NAFTA. Europe has already sent, the European Union has sent representatives to begin discussions with the Trump Organization to yep. eliminate all tariffs in all Europe. Tariffs. Yep. And this morning, this morning we saw that the Chinese have said they're interested in coming to walk, come to Washington to talk about eliminating the trade war. And the American equity markets were up 350 points. Yep. Point. But let yep. me tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm going to say to you, Mike, if we get a renegotiation with Europe, which is our second largest deficit to China. Europe, yep. Canada, Mexico, 
and China, we already have concessions from Japan, GDP in the third quarter of 2019 will be 6%. I'll tell you, it it certainly could happen. And, Dan, I agree with with everything you said. Trump wants to go to having no tariffs on anything, free trade and truly fair. However, um, because the uh, trade agreements are so lopsided in favor of our trading partners, they're reluctant to come to the table. Well, in business, the principle is if you're trying to bring someone to negotiate and they're reluctant, you create a sense of urgency. And how did Trump do that? By putting these big tariffs on, he's created a sense of urgency. And you're right, Mexico has come to the table. Uh, Europe has already said we're going to work to zero tariffs. And uh, just today, the Chinese have come back. The Chinese economy is really hurting by, by, by we all this. Talk, we just uh, they're, talk, they're, we just talk, we talked about that earlier that the Chinese yeah. uh, uh, came to Washington with, uh, you know, to try to end this trade war because China can't take it. And, and I, w- I want to mention, Michael, that, you know, it, it's Trump made a good statement today and a valid and logical statement. Our country was founded on tariffs. We were built on tariffs. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, as a free market economist, when you mention the word tariffs or taxes, my stomach starts to churn a little bit. But um, Trump is using them effectively to bring people to the table um, to negotiate something that's fair. You can't have it. We have with the European Union, they build a car, sell it in the U.S., we charge a two and a half percent tariff. We build a car, sell it in Europe, they charge a 10 percent tariff. In China, they charge a 25 percent tariff. You just can't do that. It's, got, it, it's like you're playing a baseball game and you're giving the opponents four outs per inning and you're getting only three outs per inning. Well, that's why you're losing every baseball game. So you've got to make this thing uh, fair. Um, let yeah. me say one other thing. It's a little after midnight here, and I've got to run. I actually have another we thing have, to do have, in about five minutes. Ten, we have less than ten minutes left. I'm hoping I can keep you and Dan on for the next nine I, minutes. I, Is that cool? I, I I can't go that long. I've only got three minutes, I, and they're going to call me. Oh, so yeah, I'm, I know you have, another, gonna, you have another interview. Yeah, you have I'm, another interview. That's right. I'm going to have to um, check off. I'm going to have to check off. I'll be back again soon, Rory, as as you know. It's always uh, my pleasure to be here. The conversation is always very stimulating, and I appreciate your uh, asking for my input. I, I appreciate having you on, Michael. Always a pleasure, and we'll have you on back on okay. next week. Great. Take care, everybody. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Michael. Michael Bussler, everybody. Yeah, I forgot about that. He had another interview he had to get to. But, Dan, we have less than 10 minutes left. I I do want to get to a very important topic. And um, real quick, though, Valerie, your thoughts, though? I know you've been uh, listening very well. I'm not. Ex- I'm not an economist, and I think um, I, I don't even want to comment. <laughs> but thanks for asking. Okay. But Valerie, Val- Valerie, Valerie. Yeah. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Sure. If the trade policy works, and Trump gets Europe, Canada, Mexico, and China to come to the table. Do you think it's possible the Democrats are going to go into a deep withdrawal that I talked about earlier in the program? I think it's already happening. The drug, I remember I, I used the analogy of drug withdrawal. Is that what they're, they're going through? 
I think yes, because, I mean, look at all of the companies that Trump brought back into the United States after Obama drove them out. I think that Mm -hmm. is one of the main reasons that the economy is doing so well, because we have more jobs, we have more people that are working. Real real quick, though, we got got two more important segments, so make this about 30 seconds. We got to hurry. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. I want to get to real quick, and this is very important. You know, the, 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 the NFL kneelers, you know, the NFL is supposed to go into, into decline this year by over 30%. I think like 35% they're saying the NFL is going to uh, do in terms of decline, like lose money. And you have all these kneeling – I'm not going to use any bad language. We get all these kneeling – you know, fruit, fruit, I'll say fruit people, loops. People. And it's fruit, just people. Yeah, people. fruit loops that, uh, you know, want to basically kneel for white cops killing black men. But if you look at the statistics from last year, less it only happened less than 20 times a white cop went after a black man. And half of that was, ju- more than half of that was justified, usually because the black man didn't put his hands in the air and drop his weapon and do what the cops said. Um, But there are exceptions. There are dirty cops. But what they fail to ever protest and address, especially in their off time when they're not on the field looking for attention, kneeling, and getting on camera, they don't go into the hard parts of Chicago. They don't go into the neighborhood. They don't give back to the community. Some of them do. Majority of them don't, though. This whole kneeling thing is is a – it's a it's like a Hollywood skit. It's it's totally a spectacle. It's a joke. It, it, it's it's beyond absurdity at this point, and it's only going to keep hurting the NFL. There's people, fans now, um, lots of fans that are going to stadiums with signs that say "Stand Up." I mean, it's getting out of hand. What are your thoughts, Dan? This oh NFL controversy and the black approval of Trump is now at 36%. Again, that is 36%. Black Trump approval, 36%. This time last year, it was at 19%. Now it's at 36%. I am blown away. And you know what? Kanye West deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, He um, has shined a light. So have many other big time Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson, they're big Trump supporters. Um, you got big names that T- Tiger Woods voted for Trump, Ken Griffey voted for Trump. You got all these big name athletes and big time people. So I think that's made a he- heavy influence. But I wanted to answer uh, both of what I just said: the NFL and uh, this amazing support for Trump. Well, I I have to be careful about what I'm saying here. But I just yes. wanted to, I wanted to respond to what you're saying. Um, I am working on a special project right now. Yeah. Of uh, a proposal to the Republican Party. Right. On an on an advertising campaign for the midterm election. Wow. That that is built around the concept of 
stand up for America. Oh, I love it. I love it. So hopefully they'll they'll like what we're doing and um you'll hear my ugly voice all over the nation. You have a great love that. The the football players are outliers. I mean, nobody is going to feel sorry for somebody who makes They're that kind of money themselves. and has that kind of prestige. Absolutely. And it and it was shown in the dollar amount of that they lost last year during the football season when the fans didn't even want to come watch them play. Right. So they're, and, just, and, they're, they're doing it to themselves. They're shooting themselves in the foot. And I think they're yeah. complete outliers. It doesn't matter anymore. I think, like you said, they, you never, know, they, you, they never, you know, matters. they never address. Here's a big issue. They never address the real black crime, which is, which is the real, the, according to statistics, the most, most black die from another black. 99% of blacks die from black-on-black crime. You don't ever hear right. them talking about it. And the fact that they don't. I've written about it many times. Go ahead, though, Dan. Sorry. No, I'm just saying I, I write about black and black crime uh, a lot. But, you know, one, what, what is your second item? Because we want to make sure we're, maybe we can at least get them started. What, what's the second thing you want to talk about? Well, it's just the NFL and, and the, the um, you know, how black support for Trump now is at 36%. I mean, that's an unbelievable yeah. number. I mean, what, once it Do got past know? 20%, the Democrats were screwed. Right, and so what? 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 Uh, I, I'd want to say about the, about the NFL is that there were times last year when you could go on StubHub, you could buy NFL tickets for ten, twelve, fifteen dollars. Yep, a seat. And I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm trying to find out. Maybe you've heard, but I. I haven't. I'm trying to find out whether or not what's happened to the ticket sales this year. Are people not renewing their season tickets? Are, are ticket sales better than they were last year, the same, worse? I mean, that, that will be an indication of the impact. Of They're what, down big time. Do you have any? Is Which that means just your, that they'll it, get paid less. Yes. There will be less money to be paid. Now, some of these have long-term personal service contracts, and they'll get paid regardless. But the point is, if if people don't come to the stadium to cheer the athletes on, the athletes get distracted and unmotivated. Yep. Yep. I mean, they're doing it to themselves. Um, but yes. I know, I know you want. I know you want to speak on, unless you have something else to say about the NFL, but I know you want to speak on the black support for Trump as well. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's an, a very important issue because what we're dealing with is, uh, again, it's part of this whole um, – I saw a Rasmussen study today, which I thought was amazing. It was a, a question about Antiva. And three to one, three to one, 
the American voters do not think that the Antiva protests are good for the country, and they don't like them. Right. No. And, and one of the reasons they don't like them is that they're concerned about the, the courage of their convictions because yeah. they wear masks. We have about a minute themselves. left, Dan. And they, they, the masks uh, turn people off. So yeah. uh, if you're going to protest in the United States, do it in the open so people know who you are and what you believe. If you don't want to stand up and, and, and let people see who you are, then you, you, your credibility d- diminishes. So I'm done. You asked me to stay an hour. What is it, two? And, and, here's, and here's the thing, though. Last thing I'll say about this. You know, I think a lot of the black support, uh, now that it's at 36%, it's can't, it, you know, a lot of these uh, big names like Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson, um, you know, Kanye West, they've helped a lot. And, and 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 a lot of what else it is is just the way uh, black people have woken up and seen uh, the way Democrats still try to keep them on the plantation and keep them as slaves. Um, and uh, it's just it, it's great that more people are seeing the reality. And uh, you know it's just going to get better and better. I mean the black support for Trump is just going to keep rising. But um, Dan, when you always yeah. uh, go, go ahead. Let me just. Say- just real quick. God, I sound yeah. like you. Jeez. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump was in Detroit, Donald Trump was during, in, in Detroit before or during the campaign, and he went to the black yeah. leaders in Detroit and said to them, Ten what seconds. have you got to lose? What have you right. got left to lose? Exactly, exactly. And, and we're, we're, we're seeing all the proof. And Donald Trump is following through on all his promises. Dan, real quick, people can find you at what website? Tell them, everybody, your website. DanPerkins.guru, G-U-R-U. And, and uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And everybody can find your information there. Dan Perkins, always a pleasure. We'll have you back on very soon. Great friend of the show. Uh, God bless. Thank you. Bye. Dan Perkins, everybody. Um, I want to thank all my listeners and all my viewers uh, for an amazing night. We had a great show. I want to thank all my guests, all my advertisers, my co-hosts. We will be seeing you all next week. Please visit thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. Again, that's thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. And uh, Valerie, real quick, five seconds. Uh, You can promote your book where they can find you. BackyardJihad.com. You can find it on Amazon.com. Excellent. And uh, also, you can also visit uh, GetYourAppBuilt.com. Again, that's GetYourAppBuilt.com. You can find me on RorySodder.tv. And you can also uh, find me on all social media, as well as Valerie Greenfeld as well. You can find her on all the on all different uh, types of social media. Um, everybody, uh, Thanks, we, will be back with, we, we will be back with you um, early next week. Um, God bless. Have a great weekend. Uh, cheers, everyone. Thank you.